We all know there are times when you don't have many choices in who you work with, like when a pipe bursts and you need a plumber right now. But when it comes to your mental health, you should have choices so you don't get stuck with a therapist who can't remember what you tell them every week. To find a good therapist for you, try ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including thousands of mental health providers. We're talking about therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments, either online or in person. I use this, and you should too. Go to ZocDoc.com stronger and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash stronger. ZocDoc.com slash stronger. Welcome to Mentally Stronger, the show that will help you develop the mental strength you need to reach your greatest potential, no matter what life throws your way. I'm Amy Morin, psychotherapist, mental strength trainer, and an international best-selling author of five books on mental strength. Every Monday, I introduce you to a guest whose story and expertise can inspire you to think, feel, and do your best in life. And the fun part is, we record it all from a sailboat in the Florida Keys. Now let's dive into today's episode. Do you know somebody who has a serious mental illness like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, major depression, or borderline personality disorder? Do you have a chronic mental illness or worry that you might develop one? Do you want to know how to help reduce the stigma associated with mental health issues? If you answered yes to any of those questions, today's episode is for you. When you think of somebody who has a chronic mental illness, say with bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, what do you envision? Due to the way that people with mental health issues are often portrayed in the news and in movies, you might imagine somebody as being homeless or somebody who doesn't leave the house. But there are plenty of people out there who have a major mental illness who are living and working alongside you. They might be the people that check you out at the grocery store, teach your kids at school, or deliver packages to your house. There are plenty of musicians, authors, lawyers, doctors, researchers, and therapists who have mental illnesses. We've made huge advancements in the last few decades in terms of our understanding of mental illness and our ability to treat them, but we definitely have a long way to go. Here to talk about that today is Gabe Howard. Gabe is an author, popular podcast host, and an in-demand public speaker who talks about mental health. Gabe also has bipolar disorder. When he was diagnosed at the age of 26, though, he thought his whole life was over. Fortunately, he went to therapy, he started taking medication, and he worked hard to learn how to manage his symptoms. Now he's trying to educate other people about mental illness, too. He's the host of several podcasts, including Healthline Media's Inside Bipolar. Some of the things he talks about today are the realities of living with a mental illness, the steps you can take if you have a mental illness, and how to support a loved one who may have a mental illness. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist tip. 
It's the part of the show where I'll break down Gabe's strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Gabe Howard on the truth about living with mental illness. Gabe Howard, welcome to Mentally Stronger. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. I'm excited to talk to you because you're a fellow podcast host. You host several podcasts, in fact, but one of them is called Inside Bipolar. But I'm going to guess there was a time in your life where you probably thought you were the least likely mental health advocate and person to be out there spreading news about how to stay mentally healthy. Am I right? There was a time that I didn't think that mental illness applied to me at all because I wasn't violent and I came from a good family and I wasn't rocking back and forth in a corner drooling. And there, there was a time that, forget about mental health advocate, forget about mental illness advocate. There was a time that I thought I was too good to be mentally ill. Uh, and my family, of course, believed this as well because we believed what pop culture and television taught us, which is that mental illness looks a very specific way. And since I didn't meet any of those stereotypes, it was just that I was a behavioral problem. Yeah, and I know tons of people who grow up uh, with depression, anxiety, ADHD, whatever. They get labeled a behavior problem, and a lot of times bipolar goes undiagnosed and underdiagnosed, especially in kids, because it looks like other things. It presents more like depression sometimes, or it looks more like ADHD and anxiety, those sorts of things. But before we dive into that, I just want to touch on the pop culture thing, because there are so many myths about mental health, what mental illness is, how it's related to violent crime, and what it's like to go to therapy, the couch, the stereotypical couch. How about you? What kinds of uh, myths do you see about mental health and mental illness in pop culture? In, in pop, they're almost all myths. Even when somebody's like, hey, that was a pretty good representation. Right. Pretty good is not factual. Uh, and the the example that I always use is true crime documentaries. Yeah. People and, and true crime podcasts are huge. That's why I bring it up because somebody listening to this is like, that's my next one. I'm super excited. He said true crime. Ooh, it's like the number one genre. And people listen to these podcasts and they're like, look, it, it, it's, it's journalistic integrity. It's a documentary. They're using only facts and they're taking it really seriously. So I know for a fact that I am getting the full picture, no stereotypes, no BS. And I'm like, really? Okay. So just, just answer me this. What's it feel like to hear that your kid's murdered? What? Well, that, that, what, what are you talking? I'm like, you, you told me that you lit, like there's a murder victim there, right? You are aware of that. They're like, wait, wait, huh? Oh, Okay. All right. Right. But they caught the guy, right? Yeah. I feel really good. They caught the guy, right? How long was the trial? I don't know. Three episodes. Well, but I don't understand. You said you listened to it. See the, the, the trial on that was two and a half years, right? But of course it was three episodes to you because all of that blank space where they're waiting for the next trial, you know, where all of the victims families just suffered and were stuck in a holding pattern and just not knowing if they were going to get justice and being hounded by the media and, and trying to manage their grief on this very national level to you. That was just continued after the break. I, these are just emotions and feelings that we can't get through, even when we're trying to be accurate. And then, of course, in fictionalized fictionalized versions, we're we're just we're we're just making we're just making stuff up. Uh, it, it, we're just trying to make it you know palatable or watchable. And we need people to know who's crazy, so we have them act crazy. The reality is, is mental illness doesn't have a specific look. It, it's. I'm not saying that you can't tell when somebody's in crisis or you, you, there, there's not clues to look for, but this one size fits all, all mentally ill people look exactly alike and this is what they look like and they're all portrayed exactly the same. It's just, it's, it's, it, 
it's factually inaccurate. And frankly, it's dangerous because if you don't exhibit those very stereotypical symptoms, people are like, well, he's fine. Yes. And I think whenever somebody commits a crime, we're looking for what their mental health issue is. And then we think as long as I don't have that, or if I could recognize somebody who had that, then clearly I'm safe. And that's why I think a lot of people are attracted to true crime because they think, well, I'd be able to recognize that if this person were a serial killer, I'd know. And and then we'll ask those questions to their families like, well, when did you first know your brother was a serial killer? And can you trace it back to childhood? And come up with some really strange things. And as a therapist, I'm sometimes asked to weigh in on uh, for media stories. Like, well, what mental illness do you think this person has? I don't know. But uh, we often do those sorts of things. And I think it's really harmful for people who do have a mental health issue. Right down to the language that we use that can be quite stigmatizing, right? When I read an article that will say somebody's suffering from bipolar as opposed to maybe living with. What about you? Do you have any hot button issues when it comes to like the language that stigmatizes mental illness? So it's funny because I'm about to twist this. First and foremost, I want to say that I completely agree with you. Everything that you just said about language, I agree with. Uh, But I also agree on the other side. If somebody wants to say that they're suffering from bipolar or that they are bipolar or that they have bipolar or that they live with bipolar or whatever, I, I believe that all are equally valid uh, from the perspective of the person living with bipolar disorder. And, and then I believe that that all are equally valid depending on the context. I, I think one of the things that we have missed in the language debate with, with mental illness is context. Uh, for example, when I was fired from my job, uh, nobody said we're firing the bipolar because that would be very stigmatizing. But what they said was, is because of your mental health conditions were you, you know, you are no longer able to do the job. That's perfect language. But the context there was bipolar can't work here. Uh, so it, it, it's fascinating to me that, that the context of how I lost my job was extraordinarily offensive, but everybody's like, well, you did the right thing. But I'm telling you, I, I'm on podcast stages all over the country and I'll say I'm bipolar and a whole bunch of hands will shoot up. You're more than bipolar. You're not just bipolar. And I'm like, I didn't say just and, and we don't hear this in other things. For example, if I say I'm married, a whole bunch of hands don't shoot up and say I'm more than just married. If I say I'm hungry, a whole bunch of hands don't shoot up and say, well, this too will pass. You're more than just hunger. You're more than just your biological needs, Gabe. So there's this little inherent stigma, even in trying to fix the language that we have to be super careful on. And But that said, the, the the media sort of exists like in this little, little slice. So you're absolutely right. When there's a, a, a school shooting, when there's violence, when there's anything, and everybody's like, well, I wonder what mental illness he has. I, I wonder what mental health condition she's suffering from. I'm like, why did you go straight there? And of course, the answer is you must be crazy to do something like that. And, and I, as a member of society, I I can't deny that. I I think wanting to harm another person, wanting to kill another person, something went wrong. But why are we deciding that it's mental illness that went wrong? There are so many other things that could go wrong that aren't even on people's radars. And personality defects, uh, violence, just being pushed to the limit, just... I. We have so many issues in our society that are going literally unchallenged because we've just decided that it's the mental health issue. And 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 this is my favorite part about that. Everybody's like, look, it's the mental health issue. And I'm like, excellent. And that's why the mental health safety net is so well funded. That's why there's so many, there's so much money and resources and help for people with mental illness. 
And they're like, oh, no, no, we cut all those budgets. So you don't even believe it, right? The politicians and the media, they don't even believe it. Otherwise, the minute a politician stood up and said, we're cutting the mental health budget, everybody would be furious because the politicians have just literally aimed violence at them, unchecked, unbridled violence. And everybody's like, no, that's fine. We should take their money. What we need is a football stadium. <laughs> so, so I give up. I give up. It, it, all the violence is the mentally ill people's fault, but we also won't do anything about it or provide them any resources or any help. So I, I, I don't know. It, it sounds like a bunch of BS to me. And I agree with all that too. And I think our attempts to be polite or to, uh, to help people backfire in so many ways, like when we closed a lot of institutions because we didn't want to institutionalize people with mental illness, well, now jails have become the new mental health institute because there's not enough space, there aren't enough beds, there aren't enough residential treatment facilities. And we could go on and on about the lengthy problems that we have with the mental health system. But something else I also think is a problem is when we use that statistic, like, well, one in four people have a mental illness. And I think that implies that three out of four people are, are mentally healthy and that you're either one or the other. You're either mentally ill or mentally healthy. Whereas it's much more complicated than that. It's more of a spectrum. And given any moment of the day where you fall on this spectrum is going to shift depending on what's going on around you, what you ate for lunch, how well you slept last night. Instead of talking about you are either, because we don't do that with physical health. We don't say, are you physically healthy? And it's not a yes or no question. Like if you have high cholesterol, are you still physically healthy if there's nothing else wrong with you? But why do we do that with when it comes to mental illness? So th this is where I feel that there's like a huge disservice in trying to normalize things. It, the, the pendulum has, has gone too far the other way. So the, 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 the stat of one in four or one in five, depending on what year you do it and, and, and who's providing the stat, just, just to be fair to somebody, it's like, well, I always heard one in five. Well, yeah, you know, the, this person is one or this group is one in five. This group is one in four. It's changed over the last 20 years. I've been in this just entirely, entirely too long, Amy. Stats are changing just right under my nose. Uh, but going with the, 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 the specific way that it reads is, uh, one in five people suffer from a mental health condition in any given year, but it creates this idea in people's minds that that's bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, psychosis. Um, but you recognize grief is a mental health condition, uh, right? Anxiety, depression. Uh, let's say that you are parents and you raised four children. And for the last 25 years, your house has been loud and dramatic and the neighborhood kids came over and then your last child moved out. And, and you're sitting there, you know, empty nest syndrome is well-respected and the kind of things that people, they, they, they have situational depression over and they need help. They need to talk to somebody. They need to go to a therapist. They, 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 they need support in these transitional things. Let, let's use divorce, retirement. I mean, there's all kinds of life changes that not everybody is just going to knock out of the park. Some people move through the phases of life. No problem. Uh, but other people, they're like, look, this is this is just too big of an adjustment. I, 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 I thought getting rid of my, uh, you, you know, angry spouse was going to be a good thing, but it, it it turns out that now I'm alone, and and she took the dog. Uh, whatever, who cares? Those all fall in the one in five or the one in four stats. Do you want to get high quality meat delivered straight to your house, or in my case, a sailboat? Try Butcher Box. It saves me time and money. And if you order right now, Mentally Stronger listeners can get steak, chicken, or salmon free in every single order for an entire year. I love that ButcherBox offers grass-fed beef, 
free-range organic chicken, and wild-caught seafood. There are no antibiotics or added hormones. They even offer vegetarian options. ButcherBox lets you decide how often you want deliveries, and you can pick a curated plan, or you could completely customize your box. Sign up at butcherbox.com stronger and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer, plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com stronger and use code STRONGER to choose your free-for-a-year offer. Plus, get $20 off your first order. But I think mental health groups are trying to normalize, hey, everybody suffers from this. A lot of people suffer from this. One in four, one in five. It's out there, 20%, 25%. If you're in a room with five people, one of them has it. So see, they're everywhere. You probably work with 10 people. So that's two, that's two and a half. But yeah, but the, the, the staff for people with bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, serious and persistent mental illness is like one in 20. Well, that's not, that's not so sexy, right? Like saying, hey, one in 20 suffer from it. People are like, oh, that's no big deal. I don't care. One in 20, that's, that's nothing. I don't even know 20 people. I'm good. And, and so we've tried to lump it all together as a marketing tool, I think. And maybe that was really, really helpful in 1980. Maybe getting this stat out there and educating people about mental health and mental illness combined was a really, really good idea in 1980. I don't know. I was, I was four. Uh, but I got to tell you, in 2023, people use mental health to mean bad. People will say, I had mental health this weekend. I'm like, well, yeah, you have mental health every weekend. <laughs> you really can't get rid of mental health unless you die. They're like, but they mean it bad. It's right. a pejorative. And we've got to get away from that line of thinking. We need to understand the difference between good mental health, bad mental health, a mental health crisis, mental illness, serious and persistent mental illness. If we don't understand the spectrum and we just lump it all together, I, I just, could you imagine if we did this in physical health? Right. Whether you have a headache or terminal cancer, you tell people you have physical health. Gabe, what's wrong? Physical health. Oh, he has physical health. I know. <laughs> You'd get nowhere. Right. And that's what we have on the mental health side. Yeah. And I think because sometimes we tiptoe around the issues or we don't want to offend people and we don't really know how to approach it. And there's this one size fits all strategy. But Given all of that, in terms of your personal story, when did you first get diagnosed with bipolar? 2003. I was, I was 26 years old and I was committed to a psychiatric hospital. So it, it, even though the, the looking backwards, you know, hindsight is, is always 2020. Looking backwards, the symptoms of bipolar disorder, like, poof, like, whoa, like how could anyone miss this? And of course, it's really easy to miss when you have zero mental health education and your family has zero mental health education and you've been, been bombarded with all of these stereotypes and rumors, et cetera. And the, the biggest stereotype that my family absorbed when I was being raised, so in my, in my formative years, in my teenage years, you know, when, I, when I hit puberty and, and, and young adulthood, et cetera, was that people with mental illness come from bad families. So if you have a stable home life, if you have a good mom, and it always falls on women, everything falls on women. Uh, so, so it definitely fell to the mom. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. So not only was she a good mom, she also met this you know, societal normative, hey, the reason that kids are going wild is because women are working. She didn't have that problem because she was able to stay home. So she even had that protective factor. So everything I did was just a behavioral problem because to say that it was anything else would be insulting my mother. 
And you, you got to think about this in the 80s. This is during the daycare scandals where, where women were putting their kids in daycare and they're like, you're terrible. You're hurting your children. You're just setting them up to be molested and, and just on and on and on. Like, like just, I, I just want to, I want to make sure that the listener understands that when I was growing up, there was this huge controversy, one surrounding women working and two surrounding kids in daycare. That's not so prevalent in 2023. Don't, don't get me wrong. Misogyny is still here. It's just, you know, mutated into something else. We didn't even have that. That that's how that's how great of a home life I had. Stable, stay-at-home mom, dinner at the table every night. So how the hell could I have mental illness? Nobody beat me. This is a problem. It's a huge problem. Uh, and and that's why we need more words to talk about these things and, and more understanding that, yeah, you can do everything right and bad stuff can happen. Yeah, I meet so many parents who feel guilty. Like, where did I go wrong? Or I... I ate too much fish during my pregnancy or something because we want to pinpoint it to something. Like if I can blame it on something, then I can prevent it from happening again if I just know exactly what what it was that caused this. How did you finally uh, end up in a psych hospital and get a bipolar diagnosis then? So I, I was, su- I, I, I thought about suicide as far back as I can remember. I have no memory of not contemplating life or death, right? I, I just... It, Every single day, and this makes people uncomfortable. And I, and yes, at five years old, I just I want to be really super clear. At five years old, I thought I could die. I could kill myself. This is this is an option, right? I just I know not many five year olds have existential crises, but I you know I, I was special. I had a, a a bipolar brain, but it always worked that way, right? I was born that way. I was born thinking about suicide. I was born thinking about you know mania and grandiose thoughts and racing thoughts and, and, and all of this. It just, I don't know when it gripped completely, but I don't remember it not being there, which means it's normal. This is just normal. This is, this is, this is just how brains work. And remember no robust mental health education. So I, I thought that's how everybody's brain works. I, I thought that everyone was weighing the pros and cons of life or death. I, I thought everyone had these, these issues. I thought I, I just, I, I, I just, I just thought my brain was normal. I, I did not understand that I was delusional. I did not understand that I was having grandiose thoughts. I did not understand that wanting to kill yourself, wanting to die by suicide, weighing the pros and cons of life and death were abnormal. I, I did not understand that. So I did I did absolutely nothing about it. And it, it just, that allowed me to continue into adulthood that way. And did you, was bipolar the only thing you were diagnosed with while you were at the hospital? So when I was at the hospital, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, just 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 straight bipolar disorder, a classic representation. They said uh, a year later, uh, about a year, you know, it's it's a little muddy. Uh, within the first year, I was also diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and panic and anxiety attacks, uh, specifically coming off of you know you, you go to therapy and you get it. I'm like the, we figured out that I was having panic attacks. Uh, so we were able to treat those as well. So my my official diagnosis is is bipolar one, uh, with generalized anxiety disorder, which includes panic attacks. Got it. And the reason I ask is because so much of it gets muddled. And I know people who struggled for years with getting uh, an accurate diagnosis. Bipolar often gets misdiagnosed as just depression, and people get put on antidepressants, and things get much worse. Oh yeah, <laughs> and you can see where this would happen. I. I think that psychiatrists and therapists, they, they, they take a lot of criticism. Some criticism is deserved. I, I, I want to leave the door open. I, I have many complaints. Uh, but, but 
many of the big, big critical points that people are discussing are unfair. Well, why do you keep changing the diagnosis? Because the facts keep changing and there's no blood test. And for example, with bipolar disorder, when you're manic, you're king of the world. You feel fantastic. You are awesome. Everything is wonderful. I don't know anybody who has just been so happy, so grandiose, so amazing, thinks they're a god who shows up at a psychiatrist's office Correct. and says, hey, I think there might be it, right? So, but when the depression hits, when the pendulum swings the other way with bipolar disorder, when you have depression, maybe you have a suicide attempt, maybe you have a something like that, like just the the when that happens, when that hits that's when there might be police intervention. That's when there might be intervention from friends and family. Uh, that's when there might be a suicide attempt, which means hospitalization. That's when somebody might notice suicide, uh, which I, I know I didn't answer your question and I, I, I probably should, uh, but somebody noticed all of those symptoms because they had some understanding of it. And when those things hit, then people get you help. Well, then you show up and, and, even when you do the screener, it, it's sort of a weird screener because most people, I, you know, I don't want to speak for everybody, but for example, I, I it, it's the, the screener is difficult because people recognize mania as happiness. And it's unfortunate because it's not happiness. It's not happiness at all. It's not ultra happiness. It's not super happiness. It's its own separate thing. But people to describe it, they're like, well, it's like being super happy. No, <laughs> no, that's a bit like calling rocket fuel gas, right? I, I understand like you're trying to like, well, what's rocket fuel? Well, it's like gas. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, I guess they're on the same maybe spectrum, but yeah, rocket fuel is just its own thing. Uh, but I guess it's in the fuel category, right? So uh, it, it, I know I'm kind of answering two questions here at once. But somebody did notice those symptoms, and the reasons that people are misdiagnosed is because it comes from self-reporting. And let's face it, people who are mentally ill are not the best self-reporters, and that's why it constantly changes. That's just it. As a therapist, I only know what people tell me and what they report. So if I ask about their appetite, sleep, some people are just really poor reporters, or some people think it's normal. Like, no, well, I don't have any trouble sleeping. Well, they only sleep three hours a night, but they've been doing that for so long that they don't know that that's a problem. And sometimes we're lucky enough to get much more information from other family members or insights. Um, but the reason I was asking too is sometimes in a hospital setting, people get to see you longer, get to have more lengthy conversations than the typical appointment. But I also hear some people say that their their family physician diagnosed it based on you know the 30 seconds that they were in there saying, yeah, I struggle with this. And then they get put on medication that may or may not be the right thing. For somebody who's listening who says, you know, I think I have a mental illness, but how do you go about figuring out what that mental illness might be? What would you say? I, I, I how much time you have? I, first and foremost, I, I, I think there's, there, there's, there's so many things that can go wrong. And, 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 and I, 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 I want to say it exactly like this. One of the things that can go wrong is that you get put on medication too quickly, right? So uh, for example, my, my wife's father passed away and he passed away suddenly. And, you know, my wife was 34 years old and, and her father was 64. And one day he's, he's fine. Everything is good. And the next day he's dead, right? This is, and, and I say it exactly like that because it was shocking. There was, there was no ramp up. 64 is very, very young and, and her dad's gone. So you can imagine this, this rippled through her exactly as you would expect it to. And a few months later, she's still devastated by this and she's not doing well. And she goes to the general practitioner and she's just like, I'm not doing well. And he's like, I can prescribe you antidepressants. No, 
you know, look, this is you're, you're two months past the unexpected death of your father. Uh, you haven't tried grief therapy. You haven't tried therapy. Just there, there's so many things before the magic pill that's going to make everything better. So if she wouldn't have had me as a husband, she might have been like, look, I'll, I'll do anything to get over this. I'll, I'll just start taking drugs for the rest of my life and just hope that my liver doesn't fail. And it, that would have been a real big mistake. And of course, it wouldn't have gotten her to therapy or grief counseling, which is actually what worked. But the pendulum swings the other way, right? Where people are, you, you know, I, I, Elvis is chasing me. I'm seeing dragons. I'm seeing demons. I, I'm throwing cans at people in, in the store to save the children from the monster who's chasing them. I'm like, okay, I think what you need is maybe like a social group. You know, people with like these kinds of things, they need a lot of friends. Have you tried Reddit? No, no, no. Nature bathing, yoga. I think that yoga, so it's like, no, 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 they, they, they need intervention very, very quickly. And I think this comes into the complete misunderstanding of mental health issues, mental illness, and what to look for. And the exact same thing works with physical health, right? If I went to a doctor and said, look, I'm having headaches, and he's like, you need brain surgery. Yeah, everybody would be like, wow, go away, run, run. But if I went to a doctor and she did an MRI, she put me through the thing, she put me through the paces, like, like on and on and on. And she's like, look, I, we've discovered a mass and, and we are recommending you to one of the finest surgeons. She's done this before. And what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to drill. And, and like, it's, it's not just, oh, we're going to have brain surgery that came up suddenly. It's, we're going to drill right here. We're going to alleviate the pressure that 98% success rate. Like now you're starting to feel like you're getting good care and we don't, this is the struggle that we have in mental health. So many people are like, medicine is 100% bad. And so many people are like, medicine is 100% good. And I'm like, both of those things are true. I, right. I, I don't know. I, I know that equals 200% and that really makes it difficult. But for the right person, medication, like me, I am on medi medication, saved my life. I would not be here talking to you without my daily regimen of medications. But it was absolutely 100% wrong for my wife. So what do you do? And the answer is, this is why we need more education. This is why we need general practitioners are, and, and I know I'm going to get emails about this. I always do. But many general practitioners, they don't have as robust of mental health care training as they do in other areas. Uh, but that said, because of the way our healthcare is structured, many people, they have to start with their general practitioner right. because they need a referral or they can't afford a psychiatrist or my personal favorite, there are no psychiatrists available. So they're stuck. This is what makes this all really, really messy. Remember the point that I made before? If apparently mental health issues are responsible for all the violence, and yet this this is, and I'm talking about the like the the middle class, ready, willing, and able to get care. I haven't even gotten to the people without health insurance, the homeless people, the people who are so sick they 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 don't even know they're sick, and 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 people who have zero money and are working five jobs and don't have stable housing or food, et cetera. What do we do for those folks? So to answer your question, it's it's a nightmare. It's a literal nightmare. And if you ask me what to do, uh, you'd probably have to call your health insurance company and hope that they give you the right answer. What I would like people to be able to do is immediately make an appointment with a psychiatrist or a psychologist and start small, start really small. You know, step one, therapy, right? Uh, therapy, support groups, things like that, and then monitor it. Get a real good family history. Talk to the people around them. And I don't mean mom and dad, like the people that they say, like Gabe, Who's your person? Well, you know, my best friend. Okay, I'd like to talk to your best friend. Hey, best friend, have you noticed that sometimes Gabe thinks he's Jesus? Because that, that could be mania. D does Gabe think he's garbage one day? And like real words that people can understand. 
because after I was diagnosed, my friends were like, yeah, yeah. You know, now that we think about it, sometimes you thought you were just the greatest thing ever. And then other days you wouldn't come out of your house or shower for a week. And you thought your mom would be happy if you were dead. You know, now that it's being presented to me like that, that's odd. Yeah. Uh, But in the moment, they're just like, oh, we got to get Gabe out of the house. He's having a bad day. Or, hey, Gabe's fun. He bought us all drinks. Uh, And and I, on one hand, I love these questions because I think they needed a lot of discussion. But on the other hand, I hate them because people are like, wow, that was a rambling mess. He gave us no pointers. We have nothing to write down. And that's the reality. There's, there's nothing to write down because it's a quagmire. And I don't think people answer this question enough with it's screwed up and we need to fix it because that's not hopeful. And I, and I, I love hope. I, I do, Amy. I love hope. And I want to give everybody hope. You, you, you've got to figure out what you can do and we've got to move forward. But I think somebody needs to address that we've really stacked the deck against people who live with a serious and persistent mental illness or are having a mental health crisis. And I don't think we give people enough credit for what they had to overcome just to get care. I completely agree with all of that. And I say a huge percentage of the time we hear from the family members who say, look, this person is struggling. I don't know what's wrong with them. I'm not trained in mental health, but they won't come to an appointment. So what do I do? And like one of the issues is sometimes people have been told they're crazy And so, of course, who's then going to go talk to a therapist or a psychiatrist if your friends and family are implying that there's something really wrong with you and you don't want that diagnosis or you disagree or you're not thinking clearly or you just think, you know, this is going to be weaponized if I go and get some sort of diagnosis, people are going to use it against me. What can family members do if they have, say, an adult sibling, a cousin, a parent, and they're like, you know, something's not right. Do you have any thoughts on that? One of the thoughts that I have is is family members, especially parents, tend to have this general attitude. And these are the good parents. Like, I want to be very, very clear. I haven't even delved into the toxic ones yet. But these are the good parents. They have this attitude that it's my son, it's my problem. It's my daughter, it's my problem. It's my kid, it's my problem. Uh, The the first piece of advice that I have is you've got to get rid of that line of thinking. And and, and I, I really do believe that we understand this in other areas. Uh, for example, if your kid is getting ready to, you know, fall off of a building and you're a hundred feet away, but somebody else is five feet away, that person will scream to the person who's five feet away. There's my kid, catch them, catch them, catch them. Right. And like, you're like, well, yeah, of course they're, they're five feet away. They have a much better odds of catching them. But then we go over to the mental health and like, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want to burden anyone else. I, I don't want to air the family's dirty laundry. I don't want to bring this up. So what happens is this, this, it, it becomes a mess. First off, children and parent relationships are always going to be complicated. Just, just hard stop, right? I, I, I believe that the majority of people go through this phase where they love their parents. They hate their parents. They love their parents. They hate their parents. Oh my God, my parents were geniuses. Oh, now they're stupid again. And, and that's just, that's just the normal cycle of life right? I just, everybody talks about the teenage years where your parents are idiots. And then everybody talks about turning 30 and realizing, huh, maybe I should have taken some of that advice. Like seriously, a 401k would be nice right now. Uh, and on and on and on, right? I just, we, we all have a story of not listening to our parents, you know, for something and it went terribly wrong and maybe we admit it to them, but most of the time we don't admit it to them. Uh, but we just kind of make a mental note or we have our own children or our own families. And we're like, oh, I see what mom was saying not so dumb. Uh, And I say all of this because it's usually the parents who are driving, not letting anyone else in. 
usually the, the, the person with mental illness is so sick, they don't know what's going on. They're not driving anything. They're, they're not controlling anything. They're, they're, they're just trying to survive. So if mom and dad can go to grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, siblings, et cetera, and say, look, here's what I've seen. He won't talk to me. Can you, you know, he's always respected you, uncle Tommy, you know, just, will you talk to him? And, and then you've got an ally, but so often they don't want to burden uncle Tommy. They, they don't want uncle Tommy to know. Uh, they're, they're trying to, like you said, they, they don't want their, 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 their child to be stigmatized. They don't want to be seen as bad parents. There's just a lot going on, but more often than not, when, when parents enlist the help of other family members or friends, and I, and I want to leave the door open for friends. Remember in my example, I said, find the person that's important to them. Don't just go straight to mom and dad because it's where everybody goes. Right. What, did you ask mom and dad what they're seeing? Right. So the, the people who are fighting and living in the same house and have this like history of not getting along uh, on top of this mental illness, that, that's the person that you collected your data from? That's dumb. Why don't maybe you collect your data from like a teacher? Or, or his, his BFF or, uh, you, you know, her, her, you know, her aunt who she's really close to, like, why are we always doing this? Talk to mom and dad, talk to mom and dad. And that's because of the closing rank syndrome. The closing rank syndrome is almost always started by the parents and it's, it's protected by the parents. Number one piece of advice I have is sometimes parents need to hand it off. They need to inform others of what they're seeing. Stay in the loop. You know, uncle Tommy's cool. He loves you. He'll tell you what happened. Right. But sometimes it, that just works better, uh, even if for no other reason than it's different. It's a sneak attack. It's a surprise. It's, it's altering that. What is it? Uh, 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 the, the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. I, I see a lot of parents doing the same thing over and over again, but they think this time it's going to work. It almost never does. Well, then I guess that brings me to my last question. What about now that you have had treatment for bipolar? Do you ever worry that like, how would you know if you need more help again? Can you trust your own brain or do you trust other people? And if somebody said to you like, hey, something's wrong, do you trust that you need to go get help? Or do you think, no, I'm doing better. I don't, just because I had trouble sleeping or I had a really wonderful day and I was excited yesterday doesn't mean I'm manic. How do you manage that? Here's a little bit of insight into living so openly with bipolar disorder. And I provide this because it explains why people hide. So to answer your question, people tell me all the time, well, you become obsessed with this, right? Or, or mm, Gabe, you know, you know, just did that. That's kind of a grandiose thought. And it, these things they in, in the old days, they worked. Well, isn't that great? So all of my competition just has to throw out a bipolar buzzword and I back off. So if I'm in a meeting and, and I'm like, look, I think we can raise $100,000 with this project. They're like, oh, you have grandiosity, Gabe. I mean, just that, that, that that's kind of a, a manic goal. Well, now all of a sudden I'm, I'm like, well, well you know, my, I'm, I'm really good at this and I've been doing, you know, my, my, my projections say $100,000, but, but they, they, they say only 50 and I think they're wrong, but I'm bipolar and I can't fight them. Uh, so now all of a sudden you're, you're back on your heels because what if they're right? Uh, so if nobody knew that I had bipolar disorder, I'd say my projections are $100,000. And they'd say, well, my projections are $50,000. Where did you get 100? Ah, now we're off to the races. We're having a discussion. But they shut me down immediately. So I have made the decision, which which is, it, it's the best decision that I can make. It's a rock and a hard place. 
I have made the decision that there's only like three people in the universe that can report any bipolar symptom. And three people is a good number. I want to be like really clear. Like I'm, I'm lucky to have three, right? But there's only like three people in the universe who can report a bipolar disorder symptom to me that I will take seriously. And, and one of them is my wife. It's, if, if you're married, it's really good that it's your spouse. They, they know you really, really well. And if you don't have that trust in them, you, you know, all the rules of marriage apply. And if you're keeping, you know, it's, it's, it's in sickness and in health and they don't, if they don't understand your mental illness, you got to ask yourself, why don't you trust your spouse with it? Cause that could point to other things, but it's not a relationship show. So <laughs> obviously my wife is one of those people, but then I I've made the decision to ignore everyone else, literally ignore everyone else. And it, that does become problematic. Now that said, if I'm sitting in a meeting and somebody says, Gabe, a hundred thousand, that that's a really grandiose manic thought. I will defend my position, but I'm human right? I, I've, I'm not going to believe them because they're not one of the three. I would defend my position and see what happens. And then I'll go home and I'll say, honey, so I was in a meeting and they said I was grandiose and manic. How am I feeling? And she will tell me, I, I've been in recovery for a very, very long time. So, you know, 99.9% of the time, she's like, show me your pitch, right? Show me what happened. Tell me what happened. No, that, that, that person just wants to win and they're, 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 my wife is a feminist, so she'll say things like, oh, they're blaming it on your period, Gabe. And, and that's, that, that's code for their, you know, because she gets this, she's a deputy director for the federal government. So she's surrounded by a lot of old men and she's a 38-year-old woman. And a lot of time they dismiss her because she's young, right? That's number one. And two, she's a woman. And we all know that young women are stupid, uh, right? They're, they're, they're not, but, you know, when you right. work for a conservative uh, federal agency, she gets this a lot. And she's like, yeah, they just ignored me because I'm a woman. Uh, so... I've got a lot of good understanding that this is just a way to shut me down. I, I, I bring all this up because you can see where it's a challenge. People have this idea in their head that people with mental illness just constantly have all these people who are looking out for them, who are just trying to be helpful and friendly and kind. And if they would only listen to the people around them, their lives would be so much better. But that's just not the reality. The reality is, is a lot of people are taking advantage maliciously or are taking advantage because of, of ignorance. Uh, again, just, just to make sure that everybody hears this, the person who says that $100,000 is, is, is a manic, grandiose goal, they might not be intentionally stigmatizing me. Remember, they ran the same metrics that I did and came up with 50. So now they're trying to figure out in their brain, why does Gabe think 100 when I only think 50? It's not a disrespect. It's not a malicious. It's not a stigma. It's just, why are we so far off? Ah, because Gabe has bipolar. And in some ways, those are the worst ones because I can't even just call them bad. It would be nice if I'm going to be just like, oh, they're evil and they suck. I can't even do that. But because they have this piece of information and because there's a discrepancy, they blame it on bipolar disorder. And that's why I have to ignore a whole bunch of people, which does mean for the folks listening at home, yes, somebody might yell fire. There might actually be a fire and I will sit there and burn to death. And this is the reality of people who are living openly with serious and persistent mental illness. Gabe, thank you for sharing all of that. And I think clarifying so many things for our listeners. Again, I suspect everybody who's listening probably knows somebody with a major mental illness, but I know people who are listening to a podcast called Mentally Stronger are probably also curious about their own mental health and how do, how do you manage it? How do you get through a system that is just so complicated? So thank you for sharing all of your wisdom with us. In the last couple of minutes, can you tell us a little bit about your book, your podcast, and where people can learn more about you? 
Yeah. So GabeHoward.com is where you can find everything. All the podcasts I host, all, all, all the speaking engagements, uh, how to hire me for speaking. It's where you can buy my book. My book is called Mental Illnesses and Apple and Other Observations. If you buy it from that website, GabeHoward.com, I can sign it and like throw in swag. Uh, but you can also get it on uh, Amazon and wherever books are sold. The, the podcast that I, I want to promote, I, I have a few, but the, the one that I think your listeners would like the most is uh, Inside Bipolar. Uh, and, and that's just because it has everything to do with bipolar. And, and we've been talking a lot about bipolar. It's hosted by me. I live with bipolar disorder and uh, a doctor, Dr. Nicole. She's a psychiatrist who treats uh, mental illness, including bipolar disorder. And it's, it's really a fascinating show because you get the patient perspective and you get the psychiatrist perspective. And oftentimes those are in fact at odds. Uh, and it's very interesting to hear both sides of it. And of course, it's interesting. Uh, we talk a lot about like different things, like how to move forward with like how to, how to handle mania, right? All of my advice is going to be very practical. All of her advice is going to be very medical. And I, I really strongly believe that this puts the listener in the best place to decide, hey, do I need a medical intervention? Do I need a practical intervention? Do I need a little bit of both? I, I just believe that having more information puts people in a better place. And often podcasts are geared towards one or the other, uh, which sort of creates this vacuum of knowledge. People are like, well, I keep trying all the stuff that the podcast says, but it's it's all it's all practical or coping skills, which are very, very good, but that person doesn't recognize that maybe they need a little more help. And of course, vice versa. That that person is like, I'm taking all the pills, I'm med compliant, I'm 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 going to all the doctors. I don't understand what's happening here. Well, hey, have you tried volunteerism? Have you tried these coping skills? Have you looked at it from this perspective? Oh, well, that's helpful information. Anyways, I can't talk enough about how much I love Inside Bipolar. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite podcasts, but the other ones are all there. Please check them out, GabeHoward.com. Did I do that awesome. in under two minutes? I have no idea. It's probably half an hour. <laughs> it was good, I promise. But we'll link to it all in our show notes so that our listeners can just click on the link and go check out more of your work. Gabe Howard, thank you so much for being on Mentally Stronger. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome to The Therapist Take. It's the part of the show where I'll break down Gabe's strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of my favorite strategies that he shared. Number one, treat mental illness like a physical illness. If we thought about mental illness more like a physical health issue, it would make more sense and take away a lot of the stigma. For example, some illnesses are minor and you can take care of them at home by yourself. They might just get better on their own. There are other illnesses that require ongoing treatment and help from a professional. Some are chronic and others require a whole team of people to help. But getting an illness doesn't mean that you're weak or that you had bad parents or that you've done anything wrong. Factors like genetics, life experience, biology, personality, and environment all play a role. Number two. Get to know your family history of mental illness. I was so glad that Gabe talked about the importance of knowing your family history. In my therapy office, I always ask about a family history of mental health issues. I'd say the vast majority of people that I ask will say, no, there's no history of any mental health issues on either side of the family. That's actually really unlikely. If we went with the statistic that one in four or one in five people have a mental illness, there's a chance that you probably have somebody in your family who has one. Sometimes people will know vague things like 
My Aunt Sally had a nervous breakdown. Or my grandfather would sometimes disappear for days at a time, and he had a really bad temper. That's common because not that long ago, we actually didn't have names for certain mental illnesses. And they often went untreated. People with mental illnesses were often institutionalized or they didn't live at home with their families. I have to say in my own family, for most of my life, I was just told that my grandmother had a quote-unquote chemical imbalance. It wasn't until I was in college that I put two and two together and realized actually she had schizophrenia. But that's only because I went into the mental health field. Otherwise, I probably still have no idea what the specific issue was that my grandmother had. Mental illness has a genetic component, so it's really helpful if you can find out what your siblings have or what your birth parents might have been diagnosed with. I know it's uncomfortable sometimes to bring up the subject or to ask people, but you might just try saying, hey, my doctor asked about a family history of mental health issues, and I wasn't sure. Can you help me fill in some blanks? You might find that you get a lot of helpful information just by asking that question. And number three, ask people you can trust about the validity of your thoughts. When you have a mental health issue, your brain lies to you. Anxiety will tell you that things are going to turn out terrible. Depression will try to convince you that no one likes you and nothing will ever make you feel better. Mania will tell you that you're invincible. So that's why it's really important sometimes to just get a reality check from somebody that you trust. They can tell you if your thinking is based in reality at all. So I love that Gabe said he has three people that he turns to when he wants to check whether his thinking is rational. That's important. I can't tell you how many people over the years have come into my therapy office and said things like, I actually didn't think I was having a problem, but I'm glad I trusted my spouse when they said I needed to talk to somebody. Or, I thought everyone was out to get me when they expressed concern. I'm glad that I finally listened to somebody about getting help. It would be great if we all had a person or two that we could run things by. That's important even if you don't have a mental illness, because we know that just when you're emotional about a situation, it's hard to be logical. So if you had somebody that you can trust enough to talk about your thoughts, it would be important to use them as a resource. If you don't have someone in your life who can fact check your brain, be on the lookout to find somebody who can. Whether it's a professional therapist, a friend, or a family member, it's important to fact check your brain sometimes. So those are three of Gabe's strategies that I highly recommend. Treat mental illness like a physical illness. Get familiar with your family history if you can, and find people who can help you fact-check your brain. To learn more about Gabe's work, check out his podcast, Inside Bipolar. I'll link to it in the show notes. If you know someone who could benefit from hearing more about mental strength, share this show with them. Simply sharing a link to this episode could help someone feel better and grow stronger. Do you want free access to my online course? It's called 10 Mental Strength Exercises That Will Help You Reach Your Greatest Potential. To get your free pass, all you have to do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Then send us a screenshot of your review. Our email address is podcast at amymorinlcsw.com. We'll reply with your all-access pass to the course. Thank you for hanging out with me today and for listening to Mentally Stronger. And as always, a big thank you to my show's producer, who's a fan of Gabe's shirt, which you can see if you watch our video podcast on YouTube, Nick Valentine. <laughs>